Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. I'm Ken from Indiana. And I am Jeremy, and I live in Utah. Today we are going to be talking about some statements made by John MacArthur, Mark Dever, and Tim Keller, finding out how well their statements line up with the chart. Calvinism is much false doctrine as a woman preacher. Well, of course, in fundamentalism, you define everything as a gospel issue. This is a true mark of Christian maturity to discern the difference of issues. I got an idea. Let's not one with anybody who thinks they got another idea. There's a lot of different understandings of what the days are in Genesis 1 and to what degree evolution was part of how God created things. I have disagreements with him in some areas, but those are adiaphora, those are side issues, many important issues. So many Bible doctrines are ruined when we use the wrong words. This is why it's so critical that we use only the King James Bible. You gotta have that right or get out of here. Pray God that I don't take every minor thing and make a major thing out of it. Nothing divides like truth. I respect them as brothers in the Lord with whom I have some strong differences, but they have a big problem with me. Is there a way that we can work together? I think fundamentally we have to say yes. Christians can disagree and still kick it. All right. Welcome to the podcast. Today we are going to, like Ken said in the intro, we're going to examine some statements made by Mark Dever, Tim Keller, John MacArthur, because we, we're in the proper position to judge these guys, right? Yeah, of course. So um, before we get into that, though, we got some stuff that we can talk about, uh, like a review of our yeah. podcast. You we have that, Ken? Yeah, we have a review on iTunes that says, Great podcast. I really appreciate Ken and Jeremy breaking down what is a central doctrine and how we can have unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ on different secondary and tertiary issues. The chart has been extremely beneficial in helping me pinpoint what is primary and what isn't. I always look forward to a new episode being released to see what wisdom they will share next. Great podcast. And that comes to us from CalPal730. So thank you. Wow. I'm a little upset that your name was listed first. It's not alphabetical. Wow. So there's some intentionality there. You're you're seen as... The more prominent one? Well, I don't know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, we do appreciate the reviews. So if you are listening, if you would leave us a review, that would be awesome. That'd be really helpful. Also, if you're listening, just listening, did you know that we're on YouTube, that we have video versions of these? Uh, For instance, if you were watching this episode, after watching some of the previous episodes, you'd notice how shorn my beard is it makes my glasses look bigger and i'm not sure how i feel about it right now you are you are quite self-conscious today yeah i am i'm so sorry (laughs) i feel like you're not (laughs) well 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 any other business before we get down to brass tacks i don't know i think um you mentioned Hey, you mentioned that we're on YouTube. We're on, uh, we're on YouTube. We're on podcasts. So you wherever, if people are watching on YouTube and that's where you get us, you can get us as a podcast wherever you get your podcast. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's it. I do. Cool. I'll, I'll say too that we encourage 
interaction with our, with our audience, you can tweet at us at Do Theology. You can leave us an email, send us an email, show at dotheology.com. So we encourage your feedback there. We've had a little bit of feedback on uh, Facebook, interacting with people here recently, and that was enjoyable. So we'd like to engage with more of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, very good. Well, let's, um, let's get into some of these statements made by these guys. First up, Mark Dever. And this is a statement that he made all the way back in 2009. So it's not exactly hot off the presses, but it's not, you know, ancient either. Um, but he made an interesting statement, and the Gospel Coalition did a write-up. Uh, I believe Justin Taylor did a summary of this after the sermon was preached, did a short article. So the Gospel Coalition wasn't very old at that point either, I don't think. But uh, basically, Mark Dever said in a sermon that he was preaching in his church from Revelation chapter 20, he said that it is sinful to have a position on the millennium in your church's doctrinal statement. Now, that is that is uh, quite the statement. <clears throat> and, you know, he comes from a congregational background where everybody who is a member of a, the church is expected to agree with the statement. Um, that's part of what drives his thinking. He did mention somewhere, um, if, it's, if it's a strictly elder-led church, the doctrinal statement actually only represents the doctrine of the elders. And so when you're joining that church, you're just saying, I won't teach against the elders' doctrine, which I don't know if that's how I would phrase that. But uh, he says for a a church that is more congregational, um, it's sinful to have that in there. And any other thoughts before we play the clip, Ken? Uh, I'm aware that he has since talked about making this statement. He has a podcast that he does with Jonathan Lehman, where they talked about this issue, and he kind of doubled down on it. So this is this is something that he's continues to to hold to, and yeah, it's it's a this is his position on this. So okay, well let's jump in the time machine and go back to 2009 and hear what he said in that sermon. Go ahead. But friends, I think that millennial views need not be among those doctrines that divide us. Now, 60, 70% of you may be sitting there thinking, Mark, what are you talking about? But 20 or 30% of you are sitting there thinking like, oh my goodness, I might resign my membership. (laughs) So I just want you to understand this. That's why I've set this up. I am suggesting that what you believe about the millennium, how you interpret these thousand years, is not something that it is necessary for us to agree upon in order to have a congregation together. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed in John seventeen twenty one that we Christians might be one. Of course, all true Christians are one in that we have His Spirit. We share His Spirit. We desire to live out that unity. But that unity is supposed to be evident as a testimony to the world around us. Therefore, I conclude that we should end our cooperations together with other Christians, whether nearly in a congregation or more at length in working together in missions and church planning and evangelism and building up the ministry, only with the greatest of care, lest we rend the body of Christ for whose unity He's prayed and given Himself. Therefore, I conclude that it is sin to divide the body of Christ 
to divide the body that he prayed would be united. Therefore, for us to conclude that we must agree upon a certain view of alcohol or a certain view of schooling or a certain view of meat sacrificed to idols or a certain view of the millennium in order to have fellowship together is, I think, not only unnecessary for the body of Christ, but it is therefore both unwarranted and therefore condemned by Scripture. So if you're a pastor and you're listening to me, you understand me correctly if you think I'm saying you are in sin. If you lead your congregation to have a statement of faith that requires a particular millennial view. I do not understand why that has to be a matter of uniformity in order to have Christian unity in a local congregation. There was. What a statement. So... Very clearly what he did there toward the end, he was listing off alcohol, schooling, meat sacrifice to idols, all of which, from our perspective on this podcast, are third column issues. And then he said, let's put the millennium over there, our views of the millennium, and that's also in that third column. So I'm I'm in agreement with a local church shouldn't have a, a view of alcohol in the doctrinal statement. I'm in agreement with the local church shouldn't have a view of schooling in the doctrinal statement or meat sacrificed to idols or whatever. But to say that the millennium is just another one of those things is wrong. There's a lot more to it than conscience. It's a exegetical, expositional hermeneutics issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's... It is. I mean, it's a very bold statement on uh, Dever's part, and, and he's just, again something that he's kind of doubled down on yeah, since since this sermon was first preached. And you know, there, it raises so many questions. I think to me, it raises more questions than it answers when he makes these statements. Because on one hand, he says he says many things that I agree with right up until the point where he chucks this this statement about eschatology, and I think I want to be. I think I would say as well that uh, I don't think it is necessary for your church to have an es- a view of eschatology in your doctrinal statement. Except for that Jesus will physically yes. return. Yes, except for the fact that Jesus Christ will return. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking about—yeah, because that's in the primary column. The, the, yeah. the fact that Jesus Christ will return is a primary doctrinal issue. I'm talking about the different millennial views in particular and— I don't think it's necessary to have that in a doctrinal statement necessarily. No, no secondary doctrine is necessary in a doctrinal statement. Fair enough. Yeah. But Though it could cause some issues on baptism, but it, anyway. Yeah, it, it can create... I think there's opportunities. I don't know, it, just, it just can complicate uh, ministry life greatly on some of those secondary things because of how, especially when it comes to some polity issues, like you mentioned, baptism, that could create issues if that's not a stated position of the church. Charismatic so, stuff. Charismatic stuff would create a lot of, could potentially create a lot of, a lot of things as well. But if a church does decide to have their view of eschatology in their doctrinal statement, man, to say that they're in sin, that's an awfully bold statement. No, because it because it's not a personal conscience issue. So, like, 
for for instance, um, to use an example, he used alcohol. Okay, mm-hmm. and we always have to clarify: not drunkenness, but alcohol. Okay, so we're on the same page. Drunkenness is a sin, um, but you can have a relationship with alcohol outside of the concept of drunkenness. If a church had a position that way, that would be binding the conscience of the believer. Mm-hmm. But the millennium is not a conscience issue. It's not a lifestyle issue. It's um, not a wisdom issue as far as playing out in real life how you make decisions in life. It's an exegetical, expositional, hermeneutical issue. I mean, yeah. it is. And there's so much tied to it with Israel and the church. Yeah. Um and to say that it's sinful to have a position on that as a church is saying you can have an ex, uh, an opinion based on your own exegesis on all sorts of things as a church, except for this issue, which is very arbitrary, it seems like. Why not say the same thing for Calvinism? Or he's a Baptist, why not say the same thing for baptism? Right. Or, or, or his view of, of polity within the church. Congregationalism. Yeah. He's very yeah. fired up about that. Yeah, <laughs> and so we, uh, I'm not sure he, if he's necessarily thought through all the all the implications of it. And if I'd be interested to dialogue with him about that to find out if he would how he would parse out those different things and identify what the difference is are there. But and, and he does say earlier in the sermon because I listened to I, I didn't have the timestamp when I went to the sermon, so I had to jump around a little bit. Um, and he does address in the sermon how. We have, to, we have to have something about baptism in our doctrinal statement because we're distinct from Presbyterians and that we have to have that, which I agree with. <laughs> but then it just seems so inconsistent yeah. to go as far as he does with the millennium. It would have been one thing if he would have said, but on that, on the millennium issue, we just haven't seen that as an issue that we wanted to, to draw a line in the sand. That's one thing. But then to say that it's sin for any pastor of a church to stand by while his church has that in the doctrinal statement, I, oof, that's yeah. so strong. And when you think about some of the, the applications from the different eschatological standpoints and how that impacts just the way Christians could live their Christian life, uh, to have people from different standpoints within this, I mean, I understand Dever, he probably has people of different viewpoints within his church. He also has a church of a thousand people. So, there's there's a lot of different dynamics there that we just have no no level of uh, interaction or empathy with just because we haven't experienced any of that. Uh, but um, I lost my train of thought. I have no idea well, what I was going to say. Well, and I suppose the argument could be made because these things are yet future. We shouldn't have that in our doctrinal statement. A detail about it in our doctrinal statement. Mm-hmm. But if you apply that same logic to the second coming of Christ, <laughs> generally speaking, that doesn't work because that needs to be in there. Um, heaven and hell that, you know, you got to have something about that in there. That's primary. So, uh, that logic alone doesn't really work. And, and I think something you, you touched on earlier is significant in this discussion as well is where do these different views come from? They come from different hermeneutical approaches to scripture Yep. To think that that th- these eschatological views are just isolated in and by themselves, and there's nothing else attached to them, and that you can just punt on that and everything else will be okay, I think is a little bit—it's mm-hmm. it's not taken into account the whole picture. So 
the hermeneutical approaches that bring about those different theological viewpoints on the, on the end times, on eschatology, the views of the millennium, are going to impact other ways that we read Scripture, and that can create other opportunities for friction within a local church if someone has a, a very different hermeneutic from the person sitting next to them and they're trying to wrestle through texts together. It could be a very healthy conversation. It could create uh, potential opportunities for contention within a church that are simply not necessary. So, and again, we're not trying to make the argument that you ought to have a position on eschatology in your doctrinal statement. We're simply making the case that if you do, <laughs> you're not in sin. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah. And and there's good reason to have it in there. There is, yes. So so we're we're swinging the other way from where Mark yeah. Dever is. Um, no, we're not going as extreme as he is the other way, but we're at least leaning the other way, saying there's good reason to do it. I, I feel more comfortable knowing that we have something in our doctrinal statement about it, just getting it out front. This is our approach to the Scriptures. It leads us to this eschatological view. And if I was not a pastor of a church, but I was looking for a church because I have a commitment to a certain hermeneutic, and I have a view of eschatology, I'm going to want to know where yeah. that church is on those things. Um, because even if it just says that they are millennial as a church, that's going to say something about their hermeneutic, which is going to inform me before I go and check them out, even even if I do go and check them out. Maybe that'll be enough to deter me from even visiting. But it would, it would at least prep me just knowing that they're going to take a different approach to the Scriptures than mm-hmm. me. And the only other comment that I think I have on this is the question, I wonder if he has thought through the logical implications of what he is saying. If he is concluding that essentially you, Mr. Jeremy, you are in sin because your church has a statement on eschatology in your doctrinal statement. The statement pre-exists me, so it's not my fault. <laughs> in either way, anyway. Um, and he has now made this statement, which you can make the case that you, are, you have been confronted about that, and if, and if you are going to hear that confrontation and refuse to repent, does that mean that Mark Dever would separate from everyone who does have a view of a view of uh, eschatology in their doctrinal statement, thereby creating additional division within <laughs> Christ's church. Yeah, because if he's going to be consistent, well, um, the verse in Romans has to apply. Um, let's see. It's either Romans 15 or 16. I think it's 16, but I didn't see it when I first looked over there. Oh, here we go. Sixteen, seventeen. I urge you, brethren... Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. How would that not apply to guys like me uh, from his view? I mean, really, seriously, if it's sin... I've been confronted with that. Yeah. I ignore that. If it's objectively sinful, then I'm a wolf. Yep. And and it's it's just ironic that the logical conclusion to his position ends up creating division that he is trying to bring about lessa. He's trying to bring about unity 
within the church. And I think that's something else as well, that just because these doctrinal distinctives may be creating uh, a, a scenario where it may be prudent to have two separate churches instead of one united church, um, that yeah. doesn't mean that God's church isn't is is divided necessarily. Nope. Just like he would <laughs> affirm affinity with his Presbyterian friends. And and it would be good for you if you if you're not familiar with the chart and you're listening to this, check out the chart, but also go back to season one and listen to our two episodes on secondary doctrine mm. where we go through this and talk about how it's healthy to have disagreements and but to hold those with the proper weight and measures. So yeah. Um, <clears throat> link will be in the description. Okay. Well, now Mark Dever is never going to be on our podcast. We <laughs> burned that bridge. <laughs> so let's move on to Tim Keller. This is a roundtable discussion had by Tim Keller, Russell Moore, and Ligon Duncan. You can say a lot about those guys these days with all the social Woo! justice stuff going on. This is before that, uh, a little before it really hit the fan, I guess. This is two and a half years ago or so, I think. And... Um, they're talking about the non-negotiable Christian beliefs concerning the origins of the earth. Something that, you know, perhaps may, perhaps the most disputed element of the chart, in my experience, has been age of earth being in the second column. <laughs> now, we, Ken and I are both young earth guys. We've said that from episode one of this podcast. That's, uh, that's our approach. We are anti-evolution. We don't believe you can believe in macroevolution and be orthodox regarding Christianity. You have to believe in God creating Adam and Eve, right? You can't, you can't believe in, well, there were a whole bunch of human beings before Adam and Eve. Um, you can't. You can't believe that. If you believe, if you believe that, there's so much about original sin and so much that's plainly taught in Scripture you have to reject. And so we'll talk about C.S. Lewis one of these days for those of you thinking of him. But um, but the age of the earth, someone can hold to an old earth and hold to biblical orthodoxy. Now, do many people do that? I don't know, but I think Tim Keller's one of them. And uh, he says some things in this clip. This Actually, part of this clip is in our intro, um, during the intro music. Pretty interesting. Anything you want to say before we play it? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> here it is. Uh, it's kind of a funny thing, but y the full uh, length is like 11 minutes, and you hear from Russell Moore, Ligon Duncan, and Tim Keller. But we're just going to play a Tim Keller portion that's um, just like a minute or two long here. With a Christian, I do go to Adam and Eve, too. I would say, look, there are a lot of different understandings of how old the earth are, uh, how old the earth is, and there's a lot of different understandings of what the days are in Genesis 1. And, I, uh, and, and to what degree evolution was part of how God created things. And I would say there are several gradations. When I mm -hmm. say there's four or five or six approaches, there are. But I said where I would stop is, uh, the, is with Adam and Eve. And I would say not only was there an actual Adam and Eve, otherwise I do not understand how the Pauline understanding of salvation works. I just don't know how Romans 5 works. But I'd even say, look, I know what my Christians who are scientists tell me, and that is they say that all human beings were not genetically related to a human couple. That's right now the consensus. 
I, I'll be honest, I'll just say, they say that it's not the consensus. There was a little group of people somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa, and that's where everybody came from. Um, but when I read the text, I, I look and it says, it sure looks to me like it's saying that God created Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. uh, and he didn't just uh, adopt a former you know, human, you know, a human-like being and adopt and put the image of God. It doesn't seem like that's what it's saying. Mm -hmm. It says it created out of the dust of the ground. And, uh, and I do think in the end, even though I could be wrong in reading that text, I feel like I've got to re have my reading of the text correct my understanding of this, what the science says. Yeah. I mean, in other words, the science, both, the, the, the science is a way of telling me truth, and the scripture is a way of telling me truth. But if they are clashing... Even though I know the science might show me that I'm reading the scripture wrong, and that has happened in the past, mm -hmm. where the science came in and said, "Are you really reached? Do you really think is, is it really? Does the Bible really teach that the Earth, that the, the Sun revolves around the Earth? Yeah. It, see, mm -hmm. so it's not. It's impossible for the science to make you ask, "Did you read the text right?" But if you go back and read the text and you come to your conclusion as far as you can, say before God, "I'm trying my best to read this as I think what the scripture says." Right now, it says to me, no, there's an Adam and Eve, and everyone came from Adam and Eve, and they were a special creation. Mm. And so even though I don't have an answer to my science friends, that's where I stand. So there's a lot to like about what he said. Yeah. And then there's a lot that it makes you scratch your head. <laughs> so you want to start with some of the things that jumped out at you? Yeah, so I, I really like how he said, you know, when, when the text of Scripture seems to clash with our understanding of the sciences, how there, there comes a point where one of those two things is going to have the priority. And I really appreciate how he came down and said, we have to allow Scripture to correct our understanding of the sciences. I think that is the most fundamental aspect of issues relating to science and Scriptures. So... To me, yeah, and that's, I, and that's presuppositional apologetics. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, and and so that's that's his, that's the bedrock. Um, it's interesting. Now, how far does he extrapolate that out and and then apply that consistently? And that's where things are. Things get interesting with old yeah. Tim Keller. Well, so when he said. When I read the scripture, it looks like it's saying God created man out of the dust of the ground. What do you mean it yeah, looks like it's yeah. saying that? That is what it's saying. There is no <laughs> other way to read that that is exactly what it says. Yeah. And then he also left the door open for science correcting his view of scriptures, and he said like it has before in some cases, and then he gave the example of the sun. Um. Well, we still say sunrise and sunset. I mean, it's just a part of vernacular. I, um, in what way could a plain reading of the text, like God created Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils and he became a living being, how could that? How could science change that? Um, I didn't like how that was phrased there. But I, I mean, granted, he's in New York and he has to. You know, at least at yeah. that time he was pastoring, and he has to hedge everything he says because he's dealing with a bunch of goofy people. Well, I think, I, I think for him, so I, I wish he he could have been more clear and, and would be able to say a little bit more strongly. This is what the text says, and not. <laughs> right, yeah. I th it, looks it looks like, like it says this. Like, 
it's just, we don't have to hedge like that when we're talking about God's Word. It says what it says, and we proclaim that, and we stand upon that, and we stand should stand so unashamedly. I'm not ashamed of the you know, gospel of Christ. Well, I shouldn't be ashamed of any part of God's Word. And so, to be able to stand on that confidently should be something that we should be able to do. I don't, uh, I can see where he's coming from when he says, okay, if science is going to challenge my understanding of the text, and it's going to make me take a second look at it to make sure that I am reading it correctly. I can understand where he's coming from, from that to where maybe there's, there's some information that, that comes up that really is challenging something. And I don't, a lot of people would point to this whole issue of evolution and the age of the earth as that thing that should make us, you know, see if I am reading the text correctly. And I don't think we should ever shy away from taking another look and saying, okay, am I reading this correctly? And looking at it and taking a good, hard, honest look at something. But then uh, when we come away from that, we should be able to have the confidence to be able to say, okay, you you raised something up that made me take another honest look at the text. I took a look at that text, and guess what? This is what the Bible says, and just stand mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. Yeah, and he also said the the different views that people have on the days of Genesis 1 and how evolution plays a role, mm-hmm. four or five or six points yeah. that are basically in line with orthodoxy. Different gradations along that. Yeah. You know. Ooh. I don't know Ooh. if he necessarily said that all those line up with orthodoxy. I, th- I think he says that earlier in the clip because he, he talks about gradation points two different times or earlier in the um, the original video. I see. Um, but I, I could be wrong on that. Mm-hmm. But when he says gradation points, I think he, he's allowing for more wiggle room on mm-hmm. those things than perhaps fundies like you and me would. Probably so, but yeah, yeah. So that's it's an interesting thing. I mean, and, and then it's a very tough one for us uh, young Earth creationists who do have a strong opinion on this. So to say yeah. to say it's in the second column, yeah. it's like it should it needs an asterisk next to it in the second column. Yeah, because a lot of times I think this is one of those things that even though we would say it goes in the second column. To have, I would say, I think you would say this as well, to have a different view on this where you're allowing more, you're inserting your somewhere is inconsistent with yeah. aspects of first column yeah. things. And that's and another one that's not listed on the chart, but would fit into that category would be the belief that you can lose your salvation. Mm. Um, if a person believes that you are made right with God, justification by faith alone, and then you can lose your salvation, but then you're made right with God again, justification by faith alone. I think that belongs in the second column. If it if it becomes, well, then you have to earn your favor back, you have to do this, you have to do that. Okay, at that point, now we're, that's a first column thing. Yeah, You've yeah. distorted the gospel. But, but that would be one that a lot of people would say, no, if you believe you can lose your salvation, you are not a Christian at all. Mm-hmm. And we and I, just, and I don't think I can go there. The 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 struggle with that is because the implications of that second column belief has is inconsistent with aspects of things in the first column. It rubs up right against the first column. So with Age of Earth, that's obviously rubbing right up against 
inerrancy sufficiency yeah, of scripture. Exactly. Because once you start bringing in the scientific community that's going to correct scripture, well, now we are touching on a major, major, major issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that that person has actually violated that, that first column issue mm-hmm. yet. It's just uncomfortably close. Yeah. And then there are other secondary issues that are so far away from first column things, like for most people, they would probably consider methods of evangelism to be so far away from first column things, as long as you're evangelizing, you know, methods, whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, but then there are some to second column things. Yeah, to a degree. <laughs> but then there are some second column things that just right when you bring up the topic, you're like, oh, uh, that can't be second column. Yeah, yeah. And and I get it, because we all have those opinions, don't we? So, yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to our third and final clip from a guy that maybe you've heard of. Uh, He's got a little church in California, John MacArthur. Uh, This clip is interesting. It comes from one of his Bible Q&As. They do these some Sunday nights, I think. Um, And this is actually the only thing I listen to from the Grace to You podcast or from the... Mm -hmm. It's the Grace Community Church Pulpit Podcast. I don't listen to any of MacArthur's preaching, but I love listening to the Q&As. That's interesting. This was... This was from number 70, Q&A number 70, and they just do it open mic style. This was last Christmas, so we're coming up on a year ago. Their whole auditorium was decorated with lights and wreaths and Christmassy stuff, and a guy steps up to the mic, and he asks MacArthur about uh, Christmas, why Christians celebrate this pagan holiday, but he specifically refers to Jeremiah chapter 10, mm. the uh, passage about trees, yeah. cutting down trees and worshiping trees. Um, of course, you know, MacArthur is uh, going to be very diplomatic in all of his answers, and so we're jumping into the middle of MacArthur's response, and he goes on about how Santa Claus is a false idol of the world. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He rewards you if you're good. He punishes you if you're bad. It's a false gospel. It's an idol, et cetera, et cetera. He says all those things, trying to meet the guy halfway. And then we're going to jump in here where he's he's talking about that, and then he's also going to talk about the tree thing because people misuse that Jeremiah passage. is not talking about Christmas, um, and people are not worshiping Christmas trees by and large, so it really is irrelevant. But MacArthur's answering his question, and then we're going to continue listening as the guy doesn't leave the microphone. He doesn't say, thank you, <laughs> Pastor, and then go sit down. He wants to keep talking about it. So it's a little cringy, but that's what makes it fun. It's a little bit of a longer clip, but here we go. Having said all of that, I will say this. God has allowed in human history for the birth of His Son to be essentially a global holiday. Whatever accoutrements have been added to it to confuse it, whatever pagan elements have been added to it, same with the resurrection and Easter and rabbits and chickens and whatever. The, the, world, the, the world may do everything they can to confuse and cover that, but it is still true that at this time of year, the whole world is focused on the fact that the Son of God was born into the world. And that reality gives us opportunity to speak the truth into that consciousness. That's all I'm saying. So I think we have to take advantage of these opportunities rather than just condemn. uh, None of us is worshiping a false god. None of us is worshiping Satan. But we do understand that while the world is conscious of Christ, 
we need to speak about Him. Now, about a tree, let me say this. I don't know what pagans do with trees, but I know who made them. God made trees. And to celebrate God's creation and even the birth of Christ with some kind of expression that comes down to a tree is far different than creating an idol because a tree is the handiwork of God. So I just think you have to cut through the garbage uh, that surrounds Christmas and you can celebrate the birth of our Lord because your heart belongs to Him, He belongs to you, and clear out the clutter and get to the celebration of Christ and use the opportunity to speak about who He is as long as people are aware of it, okay? Fair enough? I have to say, it reminds me of the children of Israel and the, the golden calf. He, sure. They were serving God. He right. said Yahweh, His name. Right. But He said, let stand back, I'm going to destroy Him. Right. It's different in this sense, Mike. We're, we're not serving God in the name of Santa. Right. We're it, serving God and trying to clear Santa out of the picture. According to the Word of God, it is sinful, it's unlawful, and we should not be doing it. It, the, the Baptist church back in 1704, the Puritans, the Baptists, and the Presbyterians was fighting against it. Mm -hmm. But now if I walk into a Baptist church that I grew up in, they would bust the window with me throwing me out. The Word of God is true, John MacArthur. I listened to you for years back in Kentucky. <laughs> and it's time, I say today, to serve the living Yahweh. His name is Yahweh. His son is Yeshua. And those are his righteous, holy names that no man is going to stop the things that God's going to do. And his law, we're all going to be judged by that law. And we're, when we was, you were saying so much this morning. I was about, trying. About, <laughs> about uh, Psalms 86. 89. 89, 34. He will not alter nothing he said. He won't change nothing. He won't break it. We've got to realize that. He is not going to change for us. We've got to change into Him. And it, that those schools, the schoolmaster, that's the law. Sure. It's spiritual now. I've studied, and He's woke me up to the truths of His Word. And people are coming awake. It says, awake unto righteousness. Hmm. Sin is transgression hey, listen, of the can, law. Can I just tell you this? Yeah. I agree with everything you said. Welcome. Glad you're here. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Okay. Well, I love it. When you have an open mic, open Q and A, and especially when you're in a church as big as MacArthur's, you're bound to get some interesting folks mm -hmm. up there. And you know, MacArthur was it was very obviously ready for that to be over. If anybody sees the video clip of that, there's an usher who's like behind that guy <laughs> who's like, um, okay, uh, you're done. Yeah. yeah, you're done. And he's just ignoring him. Excuse me, sir. There, there's a line behind you. He's just going for it. Could have been a lot crazier than it was, but what, what are your thoughts since you're anti-Christmas? Could you see me being that guy someday? Yeah, I could, especially <laughs> as you develop that Southern accent. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it was, oh man. There's so much, so many things that could be said, but 
I think this is why so much, you know, why we identify, you know, that Christmas as being that third column issue. You know, it's, we've talked on this podcast before a little bit about, you know, my approach to Christmas, and I'm not necessarily particularly crazy about the holiday, although I have been crazier. <laughs> I was I was probably not too terribly far away from where that guy is, although I would have had a little bit different arguments and reasonings. I never used the Jeremiah passage. I always thought that was yeah. kind of silly. Well, yeah, because basically when you do that, you're accusing... Um, uh, you're accusing... Christmas people of worshiping trees. Yes. Which and is, that's not the case no, by and large. No. Yeah. So it, it's just, it's interesting. And you know, there's a lot about what I appreciated from John MacArthur about his response, even though I'm not a, you know, a big Christmas person myself. I appreciate his arguments. I understand where he's coming from. I don't know. It's just, to me, it's just a fun interaction between those two. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. the, the only... Because you're not him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why it's fun. <laughs> well, he, was, he seemed like he was enjoying it a little bit as, as well. He was kind of laughing at different parts. Uh, maybe he was just trying to bring in comedic relief to an awkward situation. That's probably yeah. what it was. Uh, but and I, <laughs> he handled it pretty well there at the end. He's just like, oh, yeah, I agree with everything you just said. Which Yeah, you're a good guy. Yeah, Next. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> which totally disarmed the guy who's just like, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and he just walked away. <laughs> but... I think the only if I was if I was going to quibble with anything MacArthur, MacArthur said, and this is a minor of minor quibble things, he said the whole world is focused on the fact that Jesus Christ was born into the world, and I would say that's not what the world is focused on at Christmas time. But there is a holiday there, and I appreciate his point of taking advantage of the fact that the holiday exists, even if the world is not focused on who Jesus is that we can reclaim some aspects of that and use that as an opportunity to further the gospel and the fact that there are some people that are going to be in church that aren't in church any other time of the year, yeah, I'm going to take advantage of that opportunity for sure. Um, so that's my only quibble. But again, this is this is a third-column issue. One man regards one day as holy, another man views all days alike. Let each be convinced in his own mind. So it's uh, in Colossians, you don't let others judge you for Sabbaths, new moons, festivals, etc. These things, yeah. you know, they're, they're a shadow. So, and it it does seem like when people are really fired up about something like this, something that's a third column issue in particular, they've probably been listening to some stuff that's not good. Like you could. Yeah, he said at the end, God's name is Yah and Yahweh. Yeah, and Jesus' name is Yeshua. Yeah, yeah he said Yah and Yeshua, which I think he said Yahweh. Uh, no, he said Yah. Yeah, I remember the first time I I listened to it. Um, do are you going to go back and play it right now while we're recording an episode? Of course. <laughs> I because uh, that's like a, almost like a Rastafarian thing because they call him Jah. Um. And I don't know. It, it just it just seems like maybe he was really fired up about some sort of Israeli influence, some sort of like Christian Torah teaching yeah. stuff. I, I don't know. There's a few different groups out there that are very particular about we when we say God's name, we need to say his actual name, not the English counterpart. Yeah. And so yeah. yeah, oneness Pentecostals who say God's name is Jesus. There you go. 
been studying that in preparation for an upcoming debate, which if you're still listening to this episode, that's something that you can be praying about. Mm. It's supposed to be recording next week the debate with a oneness Pentecostal. So that's exciting. Yeah. But anyway, um, that one was more fun than anything. It wasn't really anything John MacArthur said, except for the thing that you pointed out, which, you know, whatever. You're just a Scrooge. But uh, I'll own it. The, uh, it's just the, the guy who was talking to him was really, really fired up yeah. about trees. And, and that's where I, th- I think that's the big thing to learn from this clip is, is less about first we can learn from John MacArthur and his graciousness and how he handled that. But as this guy's approaching it, I mean, he said a few things throughout there where he says, uh, he said, God condemns it. The Bible condemns it. It's wrong. We shouldn't be doing it. And those are very strong dogmatic statements where he yeah. is saying that Scripture says Christmas is a sin. Yeah, I wasn't sure what direction he was. the whole thing was going to go when he said something like, God's word doesn't change, John MacArthur. Yeah. It was like, whoa. <laughs> uh, did this guy go through a metal detector first? Because I'm a little nervous right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and there's a little bit of irony in directing that kind of comment to John MacArthur, of all people. So yeah. whatever your opinion yeah. of John MacArthur is. Yeah, he's not the Pope. Yeah. He's not infallible, but yeah. he's been doing this for a long time. And so. he very much holds to the infallibility and... <laughs> yeah. Sufficiency. Sufficiency and longevity of God's word. So, you know, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. That was Ken and Jeremy react to. There we go. If you have a clip you would like us to react to, send us a tweet at do theology or send us an email show at do theology.com and we'll give it a listen and maybe we will give it a react on a future episode of do theology. Hopefully you enjoyed our last episode, our interview with Justin Peters. Our next episode is an interview with, that's the Toby Sumter Toby one, Sumter, isn't it? Toby Sumter, yes. Yeah, that's a, that was yeah. the most fun I had uh, in our interviews. So check that one out. That'll be a, a fun time for you. And hopefully this has been beneficial. Remember to leave a rating or a comment or something somewhere. Just showing your support if this has been good for you to listen to. Uh Check us out on social media. Follow us if you haven't done that. All that stuff really helps. Yes, it does. Okay. Well, until next time. Theology.